How's everybody? Last week, um, during, uh, during the first service, we, Matt ended up preaching for about 20 minutes. The second service, I don't know if you knew this, we just worshiped and did ministry like the entire time. So it was a, it was a cool deal. Um, it was fun, fun to, fun to do something new. And I felt like the Lord said, because I, I normally plan about a 30, 35-minute message, and I felt like the Lord was like, you need a 35-minute version, you need a 15-minute version, you need a five-minute version, and you need a zero-minute version. <laughs> Today, you'll be receiving the 15-minute version. Um, but I do want to say, as we, I think we're, at, we're just in a, a, a different kind of season right now. God is moving, and we want to be, uh, we're not perfect, but we want to, we want to try to hit the mark, amen? Um, so during a, uh, a time and a season where the Holy Spirit is moving, um, what do we need? We need two things. We need flexibility, and we talked about that a little bit. Um, the new wineskins. How many know that the wineskin actually is a container? There needs to be a container for the new wine. Um, I'm using biblical language here. Jesus said, um, Jesus gave the illustration that, that the, the Holy Spirit is the new wine, and we have to be new wineskins um, because the old wineskins will burst. Um, the wineskins are a container. It is necessary to have structure and to have a container. However, it is very important that that container is malleable, is flexible, is stretchable. That is true of us as a church. That is true of us individually. So I want to encourage you with that. So to be hungry, you have to be flexible. Um, The other thing I want to mention along with that is, as a church, we have limitations with time constraints. And that is because we have a second service that we have to get in here. And really, our our biggest constraint as a church is parking. And so... No matter what we're doing, about 10.30, 10.35, we're going to have to end the service. Um, so please uh, help us with uh, getting turnover in those parking spaces. And if you want to write a million-dollar check for a new building, um, we will gladly accept. Uh, you know, we'll take cash, too. That's fine. You know. But that's a lot of, that's a lot of hundreds. So uh, for those of you who don't know, this is, uh, we rent this facility from another church. And uh, parking is our biggest uh, limitation at this time. Okay, um, before I get into my now 10-minute message, um, <laughs> I want to just, yeah, before I get started, it's going to be, we'll just be done. Um, before I get into the message, I just want to remind you, um, annual business meeting, uh, Monday, March 6th at 6 p.m. This is kind of where we'll present the 2022 testimony, everything that God did last year. It's also a good uh, opportunity for us to just be accountable to those of you who are tithers at this church. Um, we want to you know, show you what we did with all the money you gave us. And so it, it allows us to share the testimony, but also um, give some accountability um, to you of how we set budgets and what we did with all the money and that kind of stuff. So um, everyone's welcome to come. Um, but that particular Monday, um, we'll, we will be voting on... Um, receiving uh, two new deacon board members. And so to receive deacon members, um, there has to be a majority, a simple majority vote from the active voting membership. So um, if, you're, if you're a member and, and active, then come vote for those uh, deacon nominations. Sound good? Yep. Okay, last thing I wanna say is, how many have seen the, the Jesus Revolution movie? Quite a few of you had. I, I've, I've heard really good things about this movie. I have not seen it yet, so I can't vouch for it, but I, people I love and trust have vouched for it, um, so I'll blame them. Um, but uh, this week, um, my wife and I, we lead, a, we lead a small group on Wednesday nights. It's actually a, a running group. Um, this week, we're actually going to go 
see the movie, the, the Jesus Revolution movie. And I just thought it'd be a good opportunity to, number one, invite you whenever you can go to go see that movie. Um, it's, it's about the uh, Jesus movement during the late 60s, 70s um, that, that happened. Um, but if you um, want to come on Wednesday, uh, we're going to go to the Cinemark w- uh, at, the, at the mall at 620. So we already bought our tickets. So buy those up, would you? And then there's, if that fills up, there's a 730 showing and there's a 1030 showing as well. And so uh, if you can't make it on Wednesday, go see that movie sometime because I think it's a perfect timing for what's happening right now in our nation. So go see the Jesus Revolution movie. If you want to join my wife and I, Wednesday, 620. We already bought our tickets. Um, but there are other showing times that evening as well. Okay. Um, and I will say, um, those of you with uh, parents, it is rated PG-13. I'm not sure what all the reasons are for that, but look into it. If you've got littles, look into why it's PG-13 before you make that decision. So also not on me if you take your kid and it was too mature for them. Okay. Nine minutes. No, <laughs> no I got till 7.35, so we'll... Seven. You're going to be here a long time, 735. (laughs) Buckle up. Remember that world record sermon? I'm going to try to set that today. All right. Turn your your Bibles to to Matthew uh, chapter 5. We're continuing a series on the Beatitudes. The greatest command in Scripture is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The Beatitudes, um, and specifically the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, put more meat on the bone for us for how to love our neighbor as ourselves and how to love God and keep him first. Um, Some would say it's the greatest sermon ever, ever, um, ever spoken um, because it was our Lord Jesus who gave it. But there's so many keys in here that are so good for us. The word um, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are happens so many times in the Beatitudes. Uh, The Greek word means, literally means happy. It's the Greek word markios. Um, to be, uh, so you could say it like this. This is how to be blessed, how to be happy, how to be satisfied is in the Beatitudes. How many know God's version of how to be happy, God's version of how to be blessed looks much different than the world's version of how to be blessed and how to be happy. Amen? So we're going to start Matthew 5, 1 through 4. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them and said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We focused on that a couple weeks ago. We're in verse 4 today. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. That's going to be our focus today. What did Jesus mean when he said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted? I think it sounds, many of the Beatitudes, they sound paradoxical, um, especially since blessed means to be happy. It's, it's almost like he's saying, happy are those who mourn. It sounds like a paradox, right? Uh, it, it sounds like, you know, he's saying, happy are those who are sad, or rich are those who are poor, young are, uh, are those who are old, or skinny are those who are fat, right? It's like, what are you talking about, Jesus? There's a, it's like a paradoxical saying. This particular verse, because that doesn't make sense, right? This particular verse only makes sense when we understand the type of mourning that Jesus is talking about. Otherwise, you and I, because if we wanted to be blessed, we're like, okay, I want to be blessed, so I'm going to mourn. Otherwise, you and I would just constantly seek situations in which we would mourn so that we could be blessed. 
And that doesn't make any sense, does it? Um, it's like, I want to be blessed, so I'm going to go to the bank. I'm going to with, um, I want, so I need to mourn. So I'm going to go to the bank. I'm going to withdraw all my savings and cash, and then I'm going to go burn it. And then I'll mourn, because that would make me mourn, right? Would that make you mourn? And then I'll be blessed. No, we don't do that, right? Or, or you're like, I need to mourn so I could be blessed, so I'm going to go find someone with the flu, kiss them on the mouth, so that I'll be in mourning, and then I'll truly be blessed. Okay, that doesn't make any sense unless we understand what Jesus meant by the type of mourning that we would be comforted in. Now, um, so Jesus isn't talking about any type of grieving. Um, I, don't partic- I don't particularly pursue sad situations in order to be blessed, but um, I want to highlight this morning quickly three types of mourning, and one of them is specific to what Jesus is talking about. First type of mourning is natural mourning. This isn't the, specifically the type of mourning that Jesus is talking about that you would be blessed um, in. However, thank God, um, natural mourning is this, grieving someone or something you have lost. That's a natural mourning, and we all, we all have this from time to time in life. Um, we, uh, we mourn many things in this life due to our human experience. Whether you've been divorced, gone through a bankruptcy, you've been laid off or fired, you, if you've lost a close relationship, your pet dies, um, or most apparently like a, the death of a loved one, those are times of mourning. These are all types of mourning, um, and although this is not specifically the type of mourning Jesus is talking about in the Beatitudes, thank God that he does comfort us in those times of need. Why? We have the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will give you the Holy Spirit as a comforter. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank, thank God that he is our comforter. And when we do go through times of grief, we do go through times of mourning, God comforts us. The word comforter, uh, parakletos, actually, this is from John 14, 16. Jesus said, I'll send you the comforter. The, the Greek word uh, comforter, parakletos, it means uh, para, which is from close beside. So imagine this, para, God is walking with us. Paracletos, and um, it's a legal advocate who makes the right judgment call because close enough to the situation. Okay, that's what that's what the Holy Spirit is to us. He he walks with us. He is a, a para next to us. However, that is not the particular type of mourning that Jesus is highlighting in the Beatitudes. Okay, second type of mourning, carnal mourning. This is um, you're desiring something. Or you lost something that God has not destined for you to have. In our human fallen nature, it is possible to mourn the fact that your best friend stole all your drugs. Right? If you're into drugs and your best friend steals all your drugs, you probably mourn. Especially if you're addicted to drugs. Right? How many know, though, that's not the type of mourning that Jesus is talking about? Okay? Um, let me give you a biblical example, and I won't read the whole text, uh, a biblical example of someone who mourned, but it was not the type of mourning that Jesus was talking about. How many remember in 1 Kings 21, um, Ahab, who was a terrible king, Ahab was coveting uh, Naboth's um, vineyard, and he says, hey, I want you to sell me your vineyard. I'll give you full price, or I'll exchange uh, this vineyard for a better one. And it says, um, it says that Naboth rep- replied, verse 3, The Lord forbid that I should give you my inheritance of my ancestors. 
So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. This is the king of Israel, just laying on his bed sulking and he wouldn't eat because he, no, he, Naboth wouldn't sell him this prime real estate, okay? We find out later on that his wicked wife, Jezebel, had Naboth killed so that they could take his property from him. Okay, that sulking, that mourning, that is not the type of mourning that Jesus is talking about. And how many know that sometimes in our flesh and our fallen nature, we'll mourn things that we're attached to, but that's not what Jesus is talking about in this, in this particular instance. There's a third type of mourning, and that is spiritual mourning. And here it is, and here's where we're going today in five minutes. Um, spiritual mourning. A godly sorrow over our sins. Okay? This is the type of mourning that, that there is a blessing attached to. When we grieve and mourn, now I'm not talking about if you came to, to God today or 20 years ago, I'm not talking about you're getting into your past and, and um, feeling guilty over sins that you committed years ago. Listen, if you, if, you, if you came to Christ, you repented, you gave your life to him, those things are under the blood of Jesus and you should not have any condemnation over your past. God wiped it away. What I'm talking about, and how many know that's how we came to God in the first place? Um, it says, it says in the, it says in the, the scripture, actually it doesn't say it in the scripture. I'm just going to stick to my notes. I'm going off, I'm going off too much. This is how we first came to God. Jesus said in the, in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. This is how we first came to God in our hearts. It's important to uh, uh, note the order of the Beatitudes. Jesus said before this, blessed are the poor in spirit. That is those who recognize their total poverty of spirit. They recognize there's a debt they can never pay. And those people become candidates for mercy. That's why they're blessed. But then poverty of spirit immediately leads to a mourning over one's trespasses against God. This is how every person found salvation in the first place. The grace of God revealed their total depravity, and the grace of God revealed they can never repay that debt, and the grace of God revealed the ugliness of our sins when we came to God. It's grace that taught our hearts to fear, grace our fears relieved. The man that wrote that song was a slave trader, a, a wretched slave trader, and he came to the place in his life where he knew, I'm a wretch, and he put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Okay, now this is a mindset, um, how we came to God, being grieved over our sins, but that is not intended to only be limited to our initial conversion. Again, I'm not talking about digging up old sins from the past and feeling guilty for them, but I'm talking about we as Christians, sometimes we stumble along the way, and the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sins, does he not? I don't know about you, but since I've been saved, I have sinned since I've been saved. I heard gasps. I literally heard gasps. You guys are so shocked. Okay. How many know that if the Holy Spirit is in you, he convicts you of those things? He loves us. He convicts us. Listen, conviction draws us to God. Condemnation pushes us away from God. And God in his love, God in his mercy will convict us of our sins when we stumble along the way. And there's a blessing 
to, to us who would acknowledge what the Holy Spirit is doing, mourn over that, say, God, I'm sorry, you're right, My, you, I'm cut to the heart. There's a blessing in that because he will comfort us and show us the way of redemption. It's dangerous when a person gets to the place where they no longer mourn over their sin. They have a seared conscience. Okay, again, we shouldn't go groveling around in our past over our past sins when God has forgiven us. But we should have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit when we grieve his heart. Have you ever said something, done something, and you're like immediately like, oh, that wasn't the right move. That wasn't the right thing. And you're cut and you're grieved to the heart. That's a good thing that you're grieved when you do something wrong. That means you're sensitive to the Holy Spirit and your conscience is sensitive to him. If, you're, if you just blatantly walk through this life sinning, messing up, running over people, like that's not a good thing, right? Um, we should have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Okay, I want to read uh, one portion of scripture. We're going to read out of 2 Corinthians 7. But before we get there, if you want to, yeah, in fact, if you want to jump over to 2 Corinthians 7, um, verse 8. Before we get there, I want to just reference a portion of scripture out of 1 Corinthians 5 uh, to help you contextualize what we're reading about. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians that there was a situation in the church that they needed to deal with. Okay, this is, the, this is the situation. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2. Paul said, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that even the pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. So this is his stepmother, man sleeping with his stepmother. And you are proud? Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? Wow, this is some like serious language that Paul's using here. He says, you haven't dealt with this issue. And frankly, this person should not be allowed to fellowship with you as long as he is engaging in this type of sin. As long as this person is living this way, he shouldn't even be fellowshipping with you right now. And you should have gone into mourning over this thing. Blessed are those who mourn. The word you should have gone in the morning is the same Greek word that Jesus used in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn. You should have been vexed. You should have been cut to the core. He urges this church to exercise church discipline. And listen, the goal of the discipline isn't just to alienate the brother who's in sin. The goal of the discipline is actually restoration. It's actually restoration of the person. We don't exercise church discipline in order to just push people away because we don't like them. It's actually to, to um, bring restoration about in the person's life. And it works. It works because in 2 Corinthians, he writes to them to receive the, the, the brother back. He writes to them, okay, this person repented. He writes to them to receive the brother back because the brother repented. And then Paul gives some clarification in, um, about the mourning that they went through. 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 11. He says, I am not sorry that I um, sent that severe letter to you though I was sorry at first. For I know it was painful for you for a little while. Now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow that God wants his people to have so that you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow 
But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Verse 11, just see what this godly sorrow produced in you, such earnestness, such concern, such uh, to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm, such a longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you have done everything necessary to make things right. He's saying this godly sorrow in your hearts produced repentance, and that was a good thing. He's talking to believers here. He's talking to Christians, is he not? So as Christians, there are times where we must encounter, when we encounter our own sin, we must have a godly sorrow over those sins. We must have a sensitivity to the person of the Holy Spirit, not out of condemnation, but out of conviction to be drawn into a closer loving relationship with the Father. He says, I, I know, I understand that my letter made you, it hurt you, it made you sorry, but look at what that godly sorrow produced in you. It led to the restoration of a brother who was sinning. This bothers me. There are, there are entire sectors of Christianity that instead of confronting sin and mourning sin, seek to normalize sin. I'm not saying we shouldn't have tremendous empathy, grace, compassion, and love towards individuals in any number of situations because we've all been in those situations. And maybe a bunch of us are going through situations that you're struggling internally, right? I'm not saying we shouldn't have tremendous empathy, compassion, grace towards anyone, but when we seek to normalize what God has called sin, then we have another problem. I don't have a problem with being tempted by any number of sins, I have a problem when we try to normalize sin in the church and say, oh, it's fine. Whatever it is, it's fine. Like, I have a, I, I'm tempted by greed sometimes. I'm tempted by pride sometimes. I'm tempted by any number of things. But it's another thing to go like, greed is fine. <laughs> pride is okay. That's a whole other thing. No, I have to stay in the fight. I have to fight these temptations just like you do. The man in Corinth, he was tempted. Um, Tempted by his stepmom. Okay, that's kind of gross, but number one, maybe she's super hot. <laughs> and it's a stepmom, so maybe she's really young, like relative to, to his dad. And maybe she seduced him. I don't, have a, I don't have a problem with any number of temptations, but my problem is this. Where were the brothers in Christ to come around him and say, hey man, this is not okay, this isn't good, you have to repent, you have to stop this. Okay, if we're going to be able to do that in one another's lives, like that's going to require some vulnerability, is it not? Where I can, I can be vulnerable to you, you can be vulnerable to me. I can, I can call you out and be like, I love you so much, but that thing you're doing, that's not God's will for you. And you could do that for me as well. That takes some trust. That takes some accountability. And if you don't have that in your life, you need that. And we need that in the church. We need to be able to inspect one another and to, to see if our faith is genuine, to test, our, test one another, make sure our faith is genuine. I want, guys, I don't want to stand in front of God someday and realize I didn't have anything genuine. I just had fluff. I just had something on the surface. No, man, I want to be tested now so that what I have with Jesus, when I stand before him, is like I had a genuine faith to my core. I believed it more than anything. I didn't walk perfect, but I have a genuine faith to my core. Don't you want that? Don't you want to stand before him knowing that you have a genuine, tried and true faith. Where were the brothers of Christ to surround that person to say, this is not okay? Paul, Paul confronts this church 
to, to confront that brother, to say, hey, as long as you're living like this, you can't, you can't even fellowship with us because we can't, we can't sign off on this. We can't say this is okay. We're calling you higher. And it worked. The brother was restored to the church. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. How are we blessed when we mourn over our sin? There's really three things. Number one, godly sorrow. This is by the grace of God. Godly sorrow produces true repentance in our hearts. Repentance is a changing of, a changing of your mind. That's what repentance means. It means a change your mind. Changing how you think leads to changing how you live. And there's a blessing in that. A changed person is a transformed person. And a person transformed in the image of Christ is truly a blessed person. Let me read that one more time. How are we blessed when we mourn over our sin? Godly sorrow produces repentance. Repentance is a changing of your mind. Changing how you think leads to changing how you live. A changed person is a transformed person. And a person transformed into the image of Christ is truly a blessed person. We in the Western world oftentimes want to avoid anything that is painful, hard, difficult. But I want to encourage you, when it comes to your own shortcomings, your own sin, I'm not saying be condemned over those things and go running from God. I'm saying run to God with them and mourn over them and say, God, I need your help with this. I need your grace for this. And then surround yourself with brothers and sisters in Christ and be vulnerable to them and say, this is, this is where I struggle. I need your help. I need your accountability. I need your grace. I need your love. Amen? I want to be grieved over what God is grieved for. I don't want to be comfortable with anything in my life that God is uncomfortable with. If there's anything I'm doing that he is uncomfortable with, I want, I want to be grieved for that as well. I want to mourn for what God mourns for. The Bible does actually say that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. One of the ways we can grieve him is by just blatantly live any way we want. No, we want a sensitivity walking with the Holy Spirit Every day. We need his grace, don't we? Every day we need his grace. We need to walk with him. And he will help us along the way. I'm not saying any of us are going to walk perfect, but I am saying that God will help us along the way. And he will sensitize your heart to don't say that thing. Don't say that thing you're going to say. Don't watch that thing you were going to watch. Don't go to that place you were going to go to. Is he Lord of your life? And if he's Lord of your life, he should be Lord over what comes out of your mouth, Lord of what goes in your eyes, and Lord of what comes in your ears, and Lord of where you go and spend your time and spend your money. Amen? Blessed are those who mourn, but they will be comforted. <clears throat> what are the marks of, I'll conclude with this, what are the marks of a spiritual awakening? What are, what are the marks of revival? A lot of people would define revival in many different ways, but Revivals throughout um, the history, especially in the United States, have looked, like, looked differently. Number one, many times mass salvation is accompanied with that. Miracles, signs, and wonders oftentimes are associated with revivals. Perhaps wild manifestations of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Contagious love, supernatural joy. Another thing that is characteristic of a move of the Holy Spirit is conviction of one's own ways conviction of sin. Maybe the church, maybe God is getting the church ready to be the bride that can go out into the world and touch the world with God's love 
God's judgment begins in the house of God, does it not? And I just want to encourage you, allow the Holy Spirit to shine his light on any area of your heart. This last week, I, I remember, um, was talking with a couple of people, and I remembered a funny video that we were kind of talking about the subject. I'm like, oh, there's this funny video. I, was, I meant to text them and send them this funny video. I watched the video and then realized, like, oh, this is not really appropriate. But it's so funny. And I felt like the Lord said, nope, don't send that to them. Like, these are sheep in your church, Kurt. <laughs> like, don't be doing this, you know. Or were you about ready to say something? And the Lord's like, mm, taper that thing, what you're going to say. You're about ready to click that link that someone sent you. The Holy Spirit's like, don't click that link. Don't go there. Come on, we need to be sensitive to the Lord. Why don't you guys stand on your feet this morning? I want to pray quickly <laughs> over three things. That was a quick 10-minute message, right? Number one, if you have unrepentant sin, you know it in your life. You just need to turn away from it. I want to pray for you. Uh, number two, you're just living. You're just, or number two, you're just um, living a compromised life. You know you're not putting God first. Um, I want to pray for you as well. So, Father, we love you. We thank you for every individual in this house, Lord. Lord, we want to be blessed. We want to be happy. And one of the one of the pieces of that, God, is mourning over our brokenness. Because when we do, God, we are candidates for your grace. We're candidates for your mercy. Blessed are those women. They will be comforted. I thank you for the comfort that you will bring to us when we're just real with you, when we're raw with you, Lord, when we just bring it all to you, Lord God. So I thank you today, Lord God. You're doing a work in your church, Lord. Help us to love you, God, and to love others as you have loved us, Lord God. We bless you. We thank you today in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. amen.